All of this we pray in your holy name. Amen. Jesus was someone who had quite a bit of gumption. He had no qualms telling people exactly as he felt. Reminds me of a lot of people up in New England. In order to understand the context, you see, for the first 10 lines, the first 10 verses of John chapter 10, we have to realize that this passage immediately follows on the things in chapter 9. And actually, its context is the same as those things that happened in chapter 9. As I'm sure you remember from the sermon uh, a few weeks ago, John chapter 9 is the story of Jesus healing the man who was born blind. So Jesus heals this man who was born blind. He then goes and other people see him that that he was born blind and now he has sight. And then all of a sudden there started to be these doubters. People who critiqued him. Those in power, those in the power system saw this as a threat because the healing happened on a Sabbath They started to attack him. Even his family did not defend him. And towards the end of chapter 9, Jesus searches out this man and finds him and offers him some word of consolation. And while he was doing that, though, there were this group of Pharisees that gathered around him. And it was to those Pharisees that then Jesus turns and delivers the 10 verses that we see in our passage this morning. He starts off and he says, very truly, I tell you, anyone who comes in to the sheep pen in a way that's not through the gate, they're a thief and a bandit. Only the shepherd comes in through the gate and the gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear the voice. Although the the, the passage says, here's Jesus making this statement and the the, the Pharisees don't get it. (laughs) So he goes on, he says, no, 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 I, I am the gate. And my sheep... When they come through me, the sheep can go in and out and find plenty of pasture. But those who are thieves and bandits, they come in and their purpose is only to steal and destroy and to kill. But I come so that you may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. I wonder if the Pharisees got it the second time around, that they, in fact, were the thieves and bandits. And not just the Pharisees, but others in the religious establishment, the Sadducees, these people who were trying to abuse religion for purposes other than compassion, other than love. And also, in an interesting linguistic turn, the the word bandit in Greek is the same word that's used to describe revolutionaries. So scholars wonder whether Jesus was also trying to attack not just the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but also those who would overthrow the Roman occupiers by violence. So what about today? As you read through this passage, are there still thieves and bandits around today? And if so, what form do they take? The obvious answer could be uh, people who would abuse religion for their own ends. We certainly see that. Those who would be revolutionaries, we can see that too. But are there other things as well? Other things that hit us a little bit closer to home that might be these thieves and bandits. Because I think when we look at it, we see that the wall to the sheep pen is actually really low. It's pretty easy for those thieves and bandits to hop over and snatch up one of the unsuspecting sheep. When I go to the gym, uh, there are these TV screens 
uh, up in the gym, and they're constantly playing the series, these different channels that you can't control. I'm sure you've had a similar experience. And the other day, I was there running on the treadmill, uh, uh, sweating away and looking up, and this TV screen right in front of me had on it, it was set to HGTV. Uh, and this is not something that I'm, I was really that familiar with, and it was this show where they were going around and they were buying this new home, this like dream home for this couple. And, you know, this is a home that was uh, <laughs> a very expensive home. So, obviously, the, the couple like, had quite a bit of resources to buy on this home. And I'm sitting there running along, and it occurred to me, I'm like, what's the draw of the show? Why am I drawn into this? It's, it's a way to, like, tap into my uh, dreams, my sort of thoughts about a better material life. It's like, I watch that show, and I'm like, I want that dream house, too. I want a house as big as that. I want a house as nice as that. Look at how happy they seem. I want to be happy like them. If I just had that house, all would be well. Then I walk out of the gym into the parking lot, and the, the gym where I work at, I don't know what it is, but the gym where I work at, it seems like everybody's car is a very, very nice car. And then I sort of slide my car in next to theirs. The nice thing is, I don't really mind if they hit my door. It's one of the nice things about having my car. But still, you see, all this, you see all this nice stuff there, and you're like, gosh, it would be, it'd be really nice to have something like that. When I was working as a trader, or at least interning at the trading desk, a NASDAQ, NASDAQ trading desk, at one point we went down to the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, and I still remember this. Uh, we walked into the Tucker Anthony little alcove in the stock exchange, and there are these traders who are pushing themselves you know, long hours a day, highly stressful environment, and in between the trades, they would bring out this uh, book that was a, a book that advertised new Mercedes-Benzes, and they were picking out the next one that they wanted to buy. That was their motivation. That's why they were there doing what they were doing. That draw of materialism is very strong, and if any of us are honest, we'll admit that it's been a draw for us too, because in our society, not only does uh, do material goods uh, give us nice houses or nice cars or nice vacations. Huh? You see some friends on Facebook going on a nice vacation. You're like, gosh, I'd love to go on that vacation too. Not only does uh, material goods give us those things, but also it's a way that we rate status. Our society cares more for people who are wealthier. They get more respect. They get more attention. Yeah, of course I want to be rich. Not just so I can buy things, but so then I can be an important person. I can seem to be a success. It's very easy to see why people would make that to be the focus of their lives. But thieves and bandits come in other forms too. I know plenty of people when they graduated college and moved to the big city. In this case, usually it was New York City. And devoted themselves, like their, their, their raison d'etre was, was going out at night going out and partying with their friends. And some of these people, I don't know how their stamina for partying was as, as, as great as it was, but it was pretty impressive. And that became their raison d'etre. They hop on Tinder, try and set up a new Tinder date, go out drinking, and that cycle is, is, is where it is. Now, I know for a lot of people here, you might not be doing the same thing. Maybe you are, I don't know. But that's, that draw can still be there. You work during the week so you can go party with your friends on the weekends. It might take the form of, you know... Uh, having a big cookout or whatever, but there's that sense of making your raison d'etre, making your focus, being able to party. But it can even be a little bit slyer than that. These thieves and bandits, they're, they're, they're tricky. 
Say you're sitting down uh, with some of your friends at a coffee shop or in a different location, and one of your friends speaks up and starts talking about all the great things that his or her son or daughter had just been doing. And they start talking about their son and daughter, and you start thinking to yourself, gosh, I need to get my son or daughter to get involved in those activities, or I need to get my son or daughter to do that next great thing, or wow, Joey just got into that amazing college, or you know, Julie just did that amazing accomplishment. Gosh, what's wrong with my kids? There's that draw that's hard to avoid of having your kids' accomplishments become a part of your own ego. You know, a part of your own sense of self gets transferred to your kids, and therefore you drive your kids not necessarily because of what they want or what they need, but because of something that you need. I've known parents that that is their entire focus in their lives, trying to make sure that their kids can accomplish as much as possible. Thieves and bandits also affect clergy. <laughs> I remember a few years ago uh, being in Old South Church in Boston in Copley Square and hearing the head of GBIO, which is the community organizing group in Boston, the TMO equivalent in Boston, GBIO. The minister was leading that Burn Stanfield getting up in this beautiful sanctuary with all the people there. Uh, and he looked around and he said, you know, I have to admit I have a bit of sanctuary envy. When I was in North Carolina last week, uh, we drove by uh, a Lutheran church where a friend of mine uh, had worshipped in the past, and he said, yeah, the minister there, he, he, he had a big edifice complex. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> church joke, you know. Uh, yeah, and you, just as uh, in the secular world, those with more money uh, can get more attention and more uh, more adulation. Those uh, who lead bigger churches, the clergy lead bigger churches, they're the ones uh, that get phone calls from, say, the mayor to help stand up for something. Or, you know, you send in an op-ed to the Chronicle and you're, a mem- and you're the leader of a big church. They publish it. You're not. They don't. Um, I mean, you can easily see why it's like, oh, I want to have a bigger, better church. And it's w- one thing that happens. A lot of clergy, clergy have a uh, it's, it's a profession where a lot of people enter it, and yet very few people make it through the first five years of being a clergy person. And I think one of the reasons is because you get in and you, you want to be this, you know, sort of superstar in front of this huge mega church. You want to be, you see, you saw that, maybe you grew up in a mega church and you saw that pastor growing up or you saw someone on TV. And then you get into a church and you realize the day-to-day life of a church is a little different. <laughs> and it tends to drive certain people away. And what are the consequences of listening to these thieves and bandits, of having them snatch us up? These consequences can be pretty dire. I mean, it was, it was those who followed after materialism that helped get us into the 2008 financial crisis. People who were selling mortgages to people that they knew they couldn't pay back. Traders who are then repackaging those mortgages and selling them to clients, even in, a case where, even, even in cases where you had financial institutions selling financial products to their clients just so they could get them off their balance sheet because they knew they were junk. By the way, as a s- small political <laughs> aside, uh, that provision, again, the current Congress wants to make sure that provision is not there. That is to say that financial advisors actually have a fiduciary responsibility for their clients, which I think is outrageous, but that's right. It's amazing what the draw of materialism can do and what it can do to you individually. 
remember when I first arrived here, someone was saying, oh, well, I, I, the, I mentioned, I was like, wow, like a lot of nice cars in the, you know, around where I live. And this friend sort of dismissed it offhand. He said, listen, there are a lot of $50,000 millionaires. And I was like, well, what's that? He's like, well, people who have a $50,000 salary but live as though they're millionaires and just leverage everything. And a lot of people have been caught in those traps. You get caught in a trap where you end up overextending yourself, and then you find yourself in this debt trap. And if you're in a debt trap, it is a nasty spiral, and it can be hard to get out of. That can really tear you apart, tear your family apart, tear your life apart. That draw of materialism is there. Oh, yeah, I want to go on that same vacation my friend went on, even though I can't afford it. And you do that, and it can really lead you to a dark place. The same true is obvious with things like partying too much or focusing on things that uh, are, are transient. You know that people can get into trouble with that. Don't need to relate that. But also with, you know, with putting too much, with making your kids' accomplishments the sole focus of things, what if they don't accomplish those goals? What does that do to you and your kids? I mean, do you, I, mean I, 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 certainly know par- I certainly know children who are resentful of their parents because they just were pushed to do things that they really didn't want to do. They didn't have an aptitude to do, but they were doing it because their parents really wanted them to accomplish those things. And with clergy, you know, that, that minister I said who had the edifice complex, my friend related how this guy went from church to church and he was really big on huge building projects. And so he would convince the church to take out these massive loans and then would leave the church. And that particular church while it had a really beautiful building, it was saddled with a huge amount of debt. And he said it's a major problem in the church's life. Listen to these thieves and bandits can have problems. But amidst the bleeding of the sheep, it can be hard to hear the voice of the shepherd. If you've ever been around sheep, you know, sheep, sheep are pretty dumb. I'm gonna, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you know any sheep. Uh, and they're just... I, 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 I was a shepherd once in my life. I won't go into that detail, but I, I was a shepherd once in my life um, in England a number of years ago. I wasn't very good at it. Um, but, you know, sheep, you know, again, they could be making their own noise and wandering their own direction. And you can see how someone could sneak in and snatch one away. But this, this, the scripture today tells us that there is another voice. There is that voice of Jesus that is calling. And the question is, can we hear it? Certainly John Robinson heard it. John Robinson, the pastor of the church in Leiden, uh, who sent the pilgrims on their way. A man who was willing to put his beliefs and his faith above, say, a comfortable life in England. Same thing with the early Puritans, people like John Winthrop. John Winthrop was a very wealthy man in England. Gave up all of that to go carve out a brand new life in Massachusetts because he wanted to be a part of a great endeavor. Or Jonathan Edwards, someone who, when he heard that voice, he was like, you know what, we have to make sure that theology makes sense for our day and time. And theology in the 18th century was very different than theology in the 17th century. And he got himself in trouble in certain points, but he thought that's where God was calling him. William Lloyd Garrison, the founder of the Liberator magazine and leader of the abolition movement, he heard the voice. Same thing with Antoinette Brown Blackwell, the first woman, or, first woman ordained in the United States. Think she persisted. Think of the barriers that she faced in the 1850s to getting ordained. But the Congregationalists ordained her. Washington Gladden, 
uh, a congregational minister in Columbus, Ohio, one of the early proponents of the social gospel movement, when he heard the voice of Jesus, he said, we have to deal with social ills that industrialization is bringing to our country. He fought and supported unionization of labor. He even ended up running for and serving on the city council in Columbus so that he could bring about better life for those in poverty. You can say the same thing for people in the 20th century, whether it be Reinhold Niebuhr stepping up for doing his actions in Detroit or later in his writings. Look at those people who fought during the civil rights movement, who heard that voice of Jesus calling and saying, this is what it means today. William Johnson standing forward to be the first openly gay ordained person in a Christian denomination in 1972. That voice is still out there. And it's still calling. And Jesus promises abundant life. Life to the full. What's abundant life for you? What have you felt abundant life? One is when you have a connection, a soul connection with someone else. An authentic connection with another human being. Could be, in your, could be a friend, could be in your family, could be in your church, could be in active service, could be in doing service to others, or even receiving that from others. That can be a great gift too. Or being grounded in something holy, being grounded in God. I love that, that, that quote of Willa Cather in My Anthonia, where she says, she writes, that is happiness, to be dissolved into something complete and great. When did you experience that abundant life? And there's one other element to abundant life. Besides, I think, the more obvious ones of connection with our neighbor, connection with God, there's another thing that's important, and it speaks to some of the thieves and bandits that I was talking about earlier. And that is the importance of having some kind of direction and meaning in our lives. Why do people follow after materialism? Why do people follow after uh, sort of more immediate pleasures? Why do people make that their goals? Because they're looking for some kind of purpose and meaning. All of us are meaning makers. All of us want to find some sort of purpose. And if we don't have one, we'll insert another. Part of that abundant life is listening to the voice of Jesus and allowing our faith to help direct our meaning in our life, our purpose in our life, for that to give us meaning. When people have meaning, when they have direction, when they know what they're doing is part of something bigger and great, It can be incredibly motivating and incredibly inspiring and you can find yourself living an abundant life even though it might not be easy. When I was in high school, I remember my high school headmaster telling a story of when he went over to Liverpool, England to visit as a tourist. Now, Liverpool, England was one of the major ports uh, where American shipping came into uh, during the Second World War. And as a result, it was the area that also helped coordinate uh, the Battle of the Atlantic. Uh, against the German U-boats, at least from the British side. And so Liverpool was, uh, the, the Germans of course knew this, and Liverpool was subject to endless bombings, one after another after another. Living in Liverpool, England during the war was not easy. And as my, high, as my headmaster was taking a tour of some of these World War II facilities, uh, the person who was his tour guide had lived through that, had lived in Liverpool at the time. And so my headmaster asked him, he said, what was it like? And he said, you know, it was It was hard. You didn't know when the next air raid was coming. You didn't know who you would lose in the next air raid. He said, I lost a couple friends, one to the air raid, but also one who couldn't take the pressure and broke under the pressure and ended up taking his own life. 
But then he stopped and he said to, to my head, headmaster, he said, but you know, for all of us who made it through that, we look back on that as one of the best parts of our life. Because we knew we were doing something important. We knew we were standing up for something that was right. And we were a part of that great endeavor. And that made it worthwhile. In our lives, we have a lot of distractions. There are a lot of thieves and bandits that come in to direct us in other places. To call us into other things, to try and snatch us up. It is a constant threat. My hope is that when we gather here on Sunday mornings, and also in other points in your life, you can hear that voice of Jesus calling us to an abundant life. You can hear us calling us to try and find new meaning, to connect with others, connect with service, and connect with God. And I hope as you sit here this morning, as your mind goes running in whatever directions it's going on, and again, that's all part of the sermon too, where your mind goes off to. It's a good thing. As your mind's going off there, I hope in the midst of those wanderings, you can hear a bit of Jesus' voice calling to you and encouraging you to be a better disciple. Because that's our path to abundant life.